5th. You are listening to Peanuts and Popcorn. P&P is a spontaneous podcast between two old friends on baseball and motion pictures. I'm Tom Hockney. And I'm Leo Fontana. This week on Peanuts and Popcorn, don't call it Spring Training 2.0, call it Summer Camp. It's underway and players are ready to play. Some opt out and some are injured still. Rob Manford walks back an embarrassing admission while the White Sox will be playing a different opponent in Iowa. The 2020 Koshian Tournament in Japan has been canceled, and Bobby Bonilla Day came and went this week. We'll have the latest on the Chicago Cubs, and our popcorn feature is the second of a Billy Wilder double bill, The Apartment. Tom, you're up in Harrison, are you not? I am. I am. It's uh, it's great to finally be back in uh, my uh, summer place, and uh, equally exciting is we finally have Wi-Fi. We've owned this property since 2004. And uh, and this is the very first time that we've actually had Internet in our cabin, which is a good thing and a bad thing, by the way. The good thing, obviously, is that we can do the show. The bad thing is, is that it kind of takes away that city mouse, country mouse um, <laughs> thing that we had going on and the fact that we would be unplugged when we came up here. Right. So exactly. the loss of that is, uh, you know, it, it, it's 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 something. Anyways. Well, but uh, I'm glad to be here. We must make sacrifices in the name of progress. So it's just you and Gwen? Correct. Did your brother join you? or? Yeah, no, there's actually a few people up here. Our friends uh, Ron and Amy from Detroit are staying with us um, at the big house by the lake. My brother and a friend of his that he used to work with, um, my brother's retired now, um, is, is staying with him. So we've been down by the lake swimming. I swam yesterday a whole bunch of times. Excellent. So it's great. All right, so before we get to uh, the, the, the peanuts section of our show, um, we want to get into a few topics that are kind of uh, in, in the news of late, some current event stuff. And uh, I want to begin with, um, well, you cited an article from uh, 538. Yeah, and, I thought it was fast, a fascinating study they did. Yeah, really. And, and basically the, the premise is that uh, soccer commentary in the Premier League in Syria are uh, in La Liga, in the Bundesliga, it's full of kind of a coded racism. And what they did was these guys listened to all these broadcasts and they talked, they they listened to every comment about a white player and every comment about uh, a player of color. And more often than not, uh, the, the commentary about the player of color was he is athletic. You know what I mean? What a great athletic play. They talked about his athleticism and his speed, but they rarely talk about his intelligence or uh, his uh, tactical knowledge, you know, and um, and it's interesting that this even still today is sort of very, very obvious to anybody who, who watches it, uh, you know, who watches it closely. Yeah, I thought this was fascinating because it just shows you how um deep-rooted racism is and and how uh, pervasive it is. Even the film that we're going to talk about later today, I watched it last night, right before I fell asleep. It was great. Um, But there was two scenes in there that were basically racist scenes. Like, I I just think that this racism is everywhere. It's almost like the coronavirus. That's that's how bad it is and how, you know, it really, we as a society of all colors have to work on making it better 
moving forward. That's what I think. So, um, what's going on with with our uh, the the NFL uh, Washington Redskins? Well, the Redskins. I'm even reluctant to say it out loud, but uh, the Washington Football Team, the owner Daniel Snyder, has released right, a statement right. saying that they're going to review. Uh, changing the name of the Redskins to hey, so so I got I got a late breaking story here. Oh. They are actually going to change the name from the Washington Redskins to the DC Redskins. <laughs> God, <laughs> I kid, I kid. <laughs> that's good. That's good. Yeah, that'll change the rate. Yeah, because uh, that's actually really funny. All right, but I mean, um. This comes actually internally because the CEO of uh, Federal Express, which has naming rights to the Washington Stadium, is uh, pressuring or basically he released a letter to Daniel Snyder saying, you know, I think it's high time that we consider changing the name. Otherwise, Federal Express might consider pulling uh, its uh, naming right money. And uh, there are a lot of other sponsors who are pressuring Snyder, too. And, you know, I've heard a lot on the radio about this. And they're saying that, well, they wouldn't they wouldn't be considering changing the name if the name isn't going to be changed. And I think it's high time for this to happen because sponsors like Nike ignore the Washington team altogether. They don't even, you know. They don't right, right, speak. right. That's right. So I, I think I, the Cle- I think the Cleveland Indians have suffered from some of this too. There are yeah. certain companies that won't do business with them, and I think you're right. This is one of those moments in time where this is low hanging fruit. Change the name, Cleveland change. Indians. Change your name. And, well, what and, do you change? What would you change the Redskins to? Well, so you saw the suggestions. Yeah. Um, um, one of them, which I think is almost ironic, is the one. Um, I think it's the Red Tails. The Red Tails, which is, yeah. Which is based on the Tuskegee Air Squadron. Correct. Yeah. Correct. Which I but love. I think that's great. I, I like it too, but it just, it, you know, it, Red Tails, it's not that much of a deviation. Like the, the Washington Monuments, I thought that was pretty good. You know, you could you could riff off of that name. Um, what, what, but no matter what it is, it doesn't make a difference what it is. I think this is what I would call low-hanging fruit. Snyder, I know you're kind of a dick, but still, you know, just just don't be a dick on this. Do the right thing. Well, he swore that he would never change the name, and right. he was adamant. And 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 now, and it's interesting. He is a businessman, though. He is a businessman first, and it's interesting how the motivation to make the change is a financial one, you know. And that's really of kind course. of what it boils of down course. to. That's that's how things change in this country. Um, all right, so I wanted to to also mention. That uh, it's my it's my daughter's birthday. My daughter's birthday is coming up. She's going to be eight on the 12th. Yeah. And we got her a brand new bed for her room. And she was so excited when it arrived. And it sat there in the garage for four days in a box. And nobody even touched it because, you know, we knew we were going to have to put this thing together, assemble this thing. And I was not looking forward to it. And she kept begging us, oh, please, oh, please put it together. So my wife and I undertook the task. And let me tell you something. That's not something you want to do with your spouse. Because yeah. we that that putting together that bed nearly cost me my marriage. You know? <laughs> it was, it was, Jesus. Was it at least a bunk bed? It's kind of a kind of a bunk bed. It, it's raised and it has a little space underneath where she can go under it and you know, she can put a bean bag and, you know, so it's, it's really cool. You know, 
Okay, so not to take a step back here, but if I was your kid and my brand new bed was sitting somewhere for four days, I would have been going, I would have been giving you a lot of grief. Like, we need to get this going. Come on now. Well, I know. And she was actually doing that. And and finally, when we put it together and we put the mattress on and made the bed and put all her bunnies on it, she gave us each a hug. And, you know, as angry, <laughs> as, angry as we were at one another, you know, we we both couldn't help but shedding a little tear. It was really cute. So, you know. Yeah. Well, those are the great moments of childhood. You'll, you'll remember that when you're... Uh... When you're doing your little kaleidoscope at the end of your life. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. All right. So on to the peanuts. And uh, summer camp has begun. We're not going to call it spring training 2.0. It is, it is being called summer camp. And uh, baseball players are reporting to their major league facilities all over the country. Uh, the Cubs are at Wrigley Field. The White Sox are at, uh, what is that, guaranteed rate? And, guaranteed uh, third rate. Guaranteed third, third rate. rate. I don't think they're going to be a third rate team. No, this, no, but, no. But that ballpark is a third rate ballpark, though. Well, it's you know, one of, I, it's, I, dude, I, it's the thirtieth or thirty first worst team or uh, worst uh, uh, worst stadium in, in the majors, and it's and it's been voted like that. So, well, I don't know. I I don't think I would vote it like that. But 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 let's when just they first start. built that stadium, you needed a Sherpa to get to the upper level of that stadium. I'm not kidding I, you. It, it was, but but they've they've modified it and it, it's improved over the years. But that's another that's another discussion. I mean, right now the the Cubs yesterday actually they played an inter squad game, and uh, David Ross pulled uh, or he stopped the game after Kyle Hendricks gave up a single to Chris Bryant that loaded the bases. But uh, and he was playing uh, he was playing Guns and Roses on the PA system the whole time, so I guess that nice. was a lot of fun for the players. But, uh, so there's but, a new stat this year. There's a new stat this year that, that you'll see on the TV screen in between innings. You know how they have like hits, yeah. runs, errors, and then coronavirus infections. <laughs> That's the very last one. You know, I can't, I can't help thinking, though, how this whole thing may just be an exercise in futility. Because, you know, here in Chicago... Mayor Lightfoot says that if you travel to any of these states that recently have had a spike, like Texas or right. Florida, you have to self-quarantine for two weeks. You know, and uh, I, I mean, you're talking about a team that's going to be flying around the country, going to play, going to different cities, and they may, you know, have to. I mean, does that is that going to affect a baseball team that comes from a hot spot, so to speak? I don't, I don't know what self-quarantine means anymore. I really don't. I mean, does that mean you, that no one's going to police this? Because then I'm not so sure you're going to get full compliance on it. It's a, it's a, this is a very, you know, the part of me is like, what are you going to do? Stand at the borders of all of Illinois and say, hey, you can't enter. Let me see your, your papers. You know, what is this, Casablanca? <laughs> Okay, so as as many players are reporting to camp or to their respective summer camps, there are many players who are opting out. And we'll talk about Ian Desmond in a moment, but I want to begin with probably the biggest star in all of Major League Baseball, who hasn't really made his final decision yet uh, as to whether or not he'll play this year. And we're talking about Mike Trout. Um, this is the uh, active leader in wins above replacement, and uh, he has a chance to... Yeah. 
to become the all-time leader in wins above replacement. I mean, the guy just, you know, he's probably there's no there's no way he could this generation, and he's going to sit out possibly. And he has a kid on the way. His wife is pregnant, and he's just not sure if he's willing to give up being able to visit her or be with her in the hospital throughout the pregnancy. And I don't blame him. You know. Trout has this, I don't mean to correct you, but Trout has a 79 win above replacement. He will never beat Babe Ruth's 161. It's impossible. Probably not. You're, you're right. You're right. But he'll, I mean, but who was the last player? Who was the last player? But he could be 135, though. Huh? He, he could be 135. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, how long, how far back do you have to go to find a player who has a career war of, of over 100? You know, uh, I mean, it, it's, you know, I don't think, well, well but the point is, is that here we have this fantastic player. Pujols. 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 Okay. Yep. Well, yeah. But uh, we have this tremendous player. He's the best player in baseball right now. Arguably yep. the best no player doubt. of the generation. Three-time three MVP. Yeah. And, and, you know, he's only been in the league eight years, I think. Um, and he may sit out. And what does that say about this current situation? I mean, I don't blame him. You know, I mean, family is... First, I don't care if you make forty million dollars a year. You know, family well, but, comes but first. He has a he has a daughter that's about to be born. That's the issue. Exactly, and, and that's really the main issue. But the big the biggest one was last night. David Price. Yeah, David, David Price, Price is he, he's opting out. I run, I want to mention one thing about uh, Trout. In that, um, there's one thing about this that concerns me. I mean, I don't blame him for uh, for for thinking about or considering. Uh, opting out this season. But I will say that if he does, and he doesn't play ball again until perhaps 2021, is it possible that that may have a real impact on his career? Would, would he even be the same player when he came back? And I think uh, that he may not be, you know? I I, I think he will be because he's so young. But I also think that that from a uh, win above replacement and a hall consideration that it'll, that it will be asterisked in the sense that it'll be taken into consideration that this was known as the coronavirus era. That, well, that's what I, I, I think. That, is, that will. Imp- I don't think anybody's going to say, oh, you know, nobody's going to think that he was a worse player because he decided to opt out because of the virus. And people will understand that. What I'm saying is his skills may be diminished after sitting out for a year, you know, that's what I'm, I'm going to say. No, I'm going to say no. He's 28, 29. No, no. He's still got five unbelievable years left. That's what I think. I, I, I'm. I mean, I'm not he's, sure. He's, he's not a year. He, he, he's 28, and he's been the MVP three times. And you can make the case that the two times that he lost to uh, Miguel Cabrera, one of those years he could have been number one. So he, the guy, is a remarkable player, and, I, and I, I'm going to say no, he's not going to be impacted. But I, other players absolutely will be impacted by the layoffs. I don't disagree with any of that. What I am saying is he may experience, I don't know, diminishing skills after sitting uh, we'll on see. a. All right. I hope not. <laughs> but uh, but but the Rockies, Ian Desmond. Uh, yeah. who's a fine player in his own right, perhaps not as, as good as Trout, but uh, but he rips. <laughs> yeah. Well, he basically decided to opt out, and he ripped uh, Major League Baseball culture and racism and sexism, you know, and homophobia within the ranks of Major League Baseball. And he, as a biracial 
individual felt that uh, he has to be honest with his children. And he decided that he was going to stay home this year. And again, um, you know, there are other issues, health considerations and all that stuff is, is, you know, uh, it's something to think about, but, but he has to basically demonstrate that he's at risk or he's going to forfeit his salary. You know, I think it's noble of Desmond to take this on. I really do. But part of me thinks one of the reasons why you're doing some of this Ian, and I'm not trying to trash what you're doing is the fact that. I don't know that you were going to be signed by anybody. I mean, I don't, you know, I don't, I, I, he was on the Rockies team, but he was on a, he was on a slippery slope to almost being released. So, um, but that being said, it, you know, it's, you're going to see all kinds of reasons. Some people will call it excuses why some players will not play this year. You know, Trout's taking his family into consideration. Desmond's taking a different approach. David Price, who said last night that he was sitting out the year, um, is basically using the health as the reason. So I, I think that if we see any more mass, what I would call defections over the next five or six days, it, this 60 game season is going to be fraught with, with um, peril and with issues. Um, and, you know, Rob Manfred came out earlier this week and, 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 and made, a, I thought, a stupid statement and said, hey, we were always just going to be playing 60 games. Yeah, that was that was. If, if I was the Players Association, I'd be like, what? And they did say that. They're like, what, yeah. the, what the hell is that supposed to mean? You didn't negotiate in good faith then. Yeah, basically he was on the Dan Patrick show and he said something to the effect that it was always the owner's intention to play a 60-game season. That's just terrible. I mean, and, and he tried to walk it back by saying, well, the way the negotiations were going, you know, it, uh, it, it, we knew that there was just never going to be enough time to play 72 games. But I got to tell you, I mean, the more Rob Manfred talks in public, the worse things get. Um, You're right. They really do. Uh, they, get, they get worse for the owners who he represents and, uh, you know, I've tried to be kind of um, to look at the things that he's saying. And I've tried to sort of understand his side and I've tried to be as objective as possible. But 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 this is an astonishing admission. And I would not be surprised if uh, the, the, the players point to this moment in, in their grievance that they may file uh, next year. So I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I, I just I, I I think the most salient point that you made is about Manfred. I think Manfred, there's there's cracks in the Manfred hull that have appeared over the last year, not just how he's handled this, but how he handled the cheating scandal. Yeah. I think that, you know, there's, there's some credit. So who knows? But, you know, the owners are the ones that picked that guy. So who knows? Maybe they love him. They, they may have to pick somebody else. And I'll tell them that I am available, but I'm not going to be a rubber stamp, <laughs> you know, for uh, all the little things that they want. You know, uh, I do want to mention uh-huh. one thing. I had something to say about Ian Desmond. You know, you sent me that article from the Sporting News. And I was really, yeah. really surprised about one thing. And that is... Is the sporting news still a, a thing? I couldn't believe it. I, you know, I know. I, I know. I've read anything of the sporting two, news since 1987. I mean, I think it's two two guys in their mom's basement that are are, <laughs> are running the sporting news. Um, you and sometimes it's like incredibly amateurish, and then other times they have decent articles in there. It's really weird, but it's not a go-to site for me. 
that well it's that that was i i, I might have to start looking at it but i don't know how good it's going to be <laughs> but, but that was really funny all right so now um uh, the koshian uh tournament in japan yeah. this is the basically the japanese national high school baseball tournament has been canceled for the 2020 season, obviously because of the coronavirus. Now, this is a huge, huge, huge event in Japan. Uh, it's been described as a combination of the Super Bowl and the NCAA tournament of March Madness. And and actually, people say that it that that doesn't even do it justice as to how big right, of a right. tournament it is, because you're talking about 400 something schools, high schools nationwide in Japan that compete to this. And, and to even make the tournament, to make the final, I don't know, round of 16 or 32, is just an unbelievable honor within itself. And uh, the whole yeah. country just stops for two weeks in uh, August to watch this single elimination tournament. And there is a film on ESPN uh, about this um, uh, documentary film about this tournament and basically followed two teams in the 2018 tournament. And uh, a, a writer at The Athletic, C. Trent Rosencrantz, interviewed the filmmaker Emma Ryan Yamakazi in The Athletic. And we're yeah. talking about a woman who, the director, who grew up bo both in Japan and the United States. Um, and she grew up right near the stadium where the uh, tournament is held. And she was always really into it when she was living in Japan. And she went to the United States and studied film in New York City and decided that this was something, a story, that she really wanted to tell, because uh, this is something that really makes a connection between the United States and Japan. Both cultures love baseball, but they love it in such a different way, you know? Yeah. I, when I first, when you first sent this article, I was like, what the hell is this? I do it. And, and once I saw it was The Athletic, I knew I had to set aside three hours to read it. And so <laughs> once I started reading it, I was like, this is great. I, I would love to see this film. I would love to see this tournament, number one, as a baseball geek. The idea that, it, to me, it was more like the NCAA basketball tournament than it was anything else, the way that they were describing it. But that, I also like the cultural differences, how, as we've talked about before, the Japanese players typically are so well-grounded in the fundamentals and they learn to play the game of baseball the right way. And she talks about the order of things. Like yeah. you see, you'll never see spikes uh, when a line of, of spikes, none of them will be out of order. If somebody yeah. walks by and one's out of order, they'll put it in order, even if it's not their shoes. It's right, a very exactly. Japanese thing. Yeah, and, and I and thought that that was it. Is absolutely done the right way, the correct way. Correct. Everything is so correct. neat and so well ordered, and and this really speaks to the the, the Japanese culture that they uh, they value obedience and order and discipline yeah. and sacrifice, and you know it, it's a it's a really fascinating look at uh, you know, at the culture. And we've had there's been baseball in in Japan since the 1870s, you know. So right. I mean, this, right. this is not anything new this is not something that came when the united states occupied the japanese in the in the 40s you know what i mean this is there's been right. baseball in japan for a long long time so you know yeah, and, and to me it's not even a, a debate about that it's just about as an american we can learn a lot from the japanese of how they do things in regards to baseball i've always been impressed with the fundamentals of a japanese player and if i you know, if I ran uh, any type of a baseball entity, I would try to employ some of those those 
um, techniques of discipline and 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 again, you know, taking 50 million ground balls if you're an infielder, really learning your craft. You know, they're very, they're exceptionally good at that. They really are. And you know, I first learned about the Koshian tournament in uh, in in a book by Robert Whiting called uh, You Got to Have Wa. And Robert uh, Whiting is sort of the generally regarded as the American expert on Japanese baseball, or he was for for such a long time. And uh, you know, he he included photographs in the book that just showed how how just unbelievably severe and martial the Japanese approach is to training. You know, when they do spring training, they don't go to some warm weather site and stretch and relax and do their little calisthenics. They go to some right. place in in a really cold part of Japan and they do these severe workouts these 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 sort of military style camps and they stay in dormitories and it's very you know it is really some harsh stuff i remember they had a photograph yeah. of a ball player in the 30s learning how to be a catcher and they had a box with nails standing straight up that they would put behind his rear end to make sure that he was crouching at the proper level. That if he crouched too low, right. the nails would impale his butt. I mean, that's the way they look. Nice, at it. nice. You know? <laughs> the good old days, Leo. The good old days. But uh, if you haven't seen this article, um, you need to subscribe to The Athletic and get it. And I'm really looking forward right. to seeing this film, which will be on ESPN, I think, this coming Monday. I think tomorrow. So. Yeah. Yeah. Take, right. take an afternoon and read that article. Yeah, exactly. And so from the Japanese Field of Dreams, we go to the Field of Dream games in Iowa. Uh, and yeah. only this time, instead of the Yankees, the White Sox will be playing the Cardinals. Uh, do you think this is a good idea to go ahead with this? Or, or are we just uh, well, fooling ourselves? It's, it's the coronavirus rules are in play here. Um, you know, the the we're not the, – the White – I should say the White Sox are not playing the Yankees this year. So yeah. – uh, based on unless it's in the playoffs somehow, but in the regular season they're not playing them, and that's facilitated the change. I thought it would have been personally would have been nice if they would have got the Cubs in there, uh, but that's just you know to see the Cubs and the White Sox play there. That would have been would cool. Have, yeah, it yeah. would have been cool. So and again because I've said this before, I'll say it again. I think there's a chance the White Sox could be scary good this year, um, and that that a game like this could really put them on the national map. Yeah. Uh, oh, it, yeah, depending on how they're playing. But I, part of me thinks that based on that roster, let's put it this way: if they have another bad season based on that roster, that they're then there's no excuse for what's going on with the White Sox. That's what I think. Well, yeah, I mean, but they 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 did a lot of things. I mean, they brought up their 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 you know highly rated prospects, you know, uh, and they also spent money on free agents. So, I mean, they, they should be much better. But, you know, again, even the best laid plans, you know, sometimes don't work out. Right, exactly. I, I would expect them Mice to be and, good. and I hope they pound the Cardinals into uh, little red powder. So The mission. Yeah. yeah, that's true. That's true. So, uh, all right. So now, uh, but other news from the White Sox. Um, Andy Maysour has been named the new play-by-play man on the radio for the White Sox after the passing of uh, Ed Farmer. Uh, earlier this right. year, and uh, do you have any? I mean, Andy, you you've heard this guy fill in uh, for innings. Yeah. Pat Hughes needed a break or something on the Cubs, or 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 Darren Jackson or Ed Farmer needed a break for the White Sox, you know, and he would just take an inning or two here and there. I don't think he's a bad play-by-play guy. 
I think the the White Sox have a long way to go to compare to the Cubs radio booth, but uh, I think it's probably a step in the right direction. He's a local guy. Can't be a bad thing. Well, when it comes to baseball announcers, I don't think that you can, unless they're widely known, which he got, he actually is on, on to some on the South side uh, from a radio perspective, but unless you have, I learned a long time ago, you can't listen to a guy for a little while and make a decision. You have to, almost have to listen to him for a season or two yeah. and then make uh, make you know, that was certainly the case of Impem, uh, the two guys in Detroit when I first heard um, uh, the two guys that, be- that beat each other up. But when I first heard them, I thought that they were both terrible. And then I learned they kind of grow on you after a while. So uh, I'm sure he's going to be fine. Um, he'll never be as good as the TV guy that they have. No. If this was the no. old days, if this was the old days, then Benedetti or whatever his name is would be the radio guy. But it's yeah. now TV's way more important than radio. In the old days, it used to be the other way around. Uh, but so I, I don't know that it's a it's a big issue. But I do think the White Sox are going to be good this year. That's what yeah. I think. That 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 yeah. And I'll be I'll be watching them, and I'll be watching Jason Benetti, you know, on uh, whatever yeah. Comcast Sportsnet, instead Correct. of listening to Andy Masur. But anyway, uh, all right. So something happened the other day. Um, they were doing a little I don't know, batting practice at Yankee Stadium, and um, Matsuhiro Tanaka th- threw a pitch to uh, John Carlos Stanton, who crushed a line drive right off of uh, Tanaka's skull. And there's video on it. Uh, there's an article in MLB.com, and you can see basically video from high up in the stands of it happening. And it, 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 that looked serious. I don't know uh, what the outlook is for Tanaka, but uh, I'm sure he'll be out for quite some time. Uh, this raises a big question. Yankees, what the hell is going on out there? What, what are you doing? How is this pitcher <laughs> exposed like this? Uh, seriously, this well, is insane to, to me. To batting, you know, to live hitting at, at some point. I mean, it could have happened anytime. Not when you're pitching batting practice when you have a cage in front of you. Yeah. And, and also, this is like the second day of spring training. I, I, I just, I don't, I, I just think this is, this is insane. <laughs> yeah. um, That's what I think. I, it, it, that, that was really, really scary. And, you know, and right as, you know, Stanton, who's been out for so long with an injury, just as he's coming back and then, you know, he he's able to kind of get in there and start practicing again. And he takes out one of their better pitchers. That was really. Uh, right. Of, right. I mean, so yeah. anyway. All right. So now um, getting back to some sort of local or news with a local angle, um, the parents of the Jackie Robinson West Little League World Series team. This is the team that won, I think, back in 2000 and. Um, if I'm not mistaken, 2012, I'm not sure of the exact 14 or something like that. Yeah. So basically, yeah, I think 2014, but uh, the parents, you know, what, what happened was they won the little league world series, the Jackie Robinson West team did. And then it was taken away from them because they had players who were outside or from outside of their district or zone or whatever. And, uh, you know, it's interesting that Ed Howard, the new Cubs uh, first round draft pick played on that team and uh, his championship was stripped and the lawsuit is going to be allowed to proceed. And I'm, I hope they get their championship reinstated because I think that at the time that was a real great thing for everybody around here. Um, I don't know. What's your, what are your feelings on this? Do you think it was justified? The, that, well, uh, well, the Jack, the, um, in this particular case, this was sour grapes that were, um, charged by a rival league yeah. that um, felt as though the Jackie Robinson 
um, team had an unfair advantage because not all of its players were within the, the geographical area that they they had to be in. It's my understanding that this rule has been broken by many U.S. teams over the years. This is not unique to Jackie Robinson. It's a rule is a rule, and they got busted on it. So I'm, I'm kind of torn, but I think ultimately they should give it back to them. And also, that's another situation where I was completely taken by those kids and watched almost every one of those games. Yeah, yeah that was really... Uh... I mean, when that when that got pulled, you know, when they when they when their championship was stripped, that was really uh, I don't know. It was disappointing because uh, it, there was an inspiring story for those of us who live here. And uh, and I hope they do get it back. And uh, I think they may have a case. But anyway, all right. So, right. so, so uh, one other interesting note in around the league, uh, Bobby Bonilla Day uh, came and went this week. And that that's the day that Bobby Bonilla gets paid by the New York Mets about $1.19 million. And he gets that every single year up until, I think, uh, 2035. 2035. Yeah, that's yeah, just... 2035. And they opted to do this instead of paying him, at the time of his release, the $6 million they owed him. You know, they right. said, no, we'll pay because you... Because they were financially... But they were financially strapped because... Um, whoever the owner of the team was, I can't remember. I it might have been Will Pond, but I don't think it was. But but they were heavily invested with Bernie Madoff, yeah. and so there there was a there was a financial they they were under a financial strain. They had to make that move. And also, by the way, interesting to note, I always think this is hilarious. Every July first is Bobby Bonilla Day. Is the fact that Bonilla had another one of these deals where he actually had two deferment deals, which were not uncommon in that time. Brett Saberhagen has had one that I think is expired now, but he had a long one too. It wasn't uncommon in those days to see those type of financial arrangements being made because, um, well, because they could. And, and also, I think Bonilla, well, let's put it this way. I don't think you'll see a lot of them moving forward outside no. of a 10-year cycle. Like Scherzer has one that I think pays till 2028 or something, which that's a long time. Um, and Trout, I think Trout's is a, is a, at least nine years left, right? Didn't he sign a 10-year no, yeah. deal? Yeah, he got a 10-year deal. Yeah. So, yeah, no, I mean. It, uh, it's always hilarious. It's, it's it's hilarious to me. It really is. And, you know, we're talking about a guy who hasn't played since 2000 and what, four? 2000 and, no, he last played with the Cardinals in 2001. And he's going to be paid right, something like that through 2035 when he turns 72. You know, <laughs> I, know. I know, I know. That is a great deal. That is such a great deal. You know. All right, so uh, let's move on to the Chicago Cubs, and I wanted to begin with the shortened 60-game schedule, which basically will consist of playing 10 games against each of your division rivals. That's 40 games, okay? As there are five teams yeah. in each division, and then you're going to play the other 20 against the mirror division from the other leagues. So the National League Central will play the 20 games against the American League Central. And right. the Cubs right. and White Sox will play six games against each other, but they'll also play a few games against the Royals, the Tigers, the Indians, and so on. Now, my contention right. is that this shortened schedule really intensifies the rivalry that exists between Cubs and White Sox fans. Because not only will you have six games that – count so much more than they would during a regular interleague series, you know, 
I mean, ordinarily we would just get the four, the two, you know, two games at Wrigley Field, two games at that uh, at uh, guaranteed rate. Now it's three and three. So two, you know, that's two big series. And because it's only 60 right. games, those games matter so much more. And if the White Sox win those games, White Sox fans are just going to be insufferable. It's going to be awful living yeah. that happens. Right. right. But then it Correct. gets down to the fact that the Cubs will be playing the White Sox division rivals, like the Twins and the Indians. And the White Sox will be playing the Cubs division rivals, like the Cardinals and the Brewers and the Reds. And so it'll right. be this bizarre dynamic of White Sox fans being forced to root for the Cubs in certain instances and vice versa. It's going to be crazy. And, and all, all while the stadiums are empty. Yeah. yeah. It's just, it's, it's just bizarre. You could, you know, I'm Rod Serling could not have, have written a better script for this. If you ask me, because we're in uncharted water and I think, you know, we haven't talked about this today, but we talked about it yesterday. Do they have a decent fallback plan as they start to recognize that people are, or players are starting to become infected with the virus? And so, because now they're talking, I, I think I read somewhere in one of these articles this morning, earlier this morning, that if a player tests positive, then they have 48 hours to actually test again. And so it's my understanding that this thing doesn't go in 48 hours. I don't understand why they would be testing again. You know what I'm saying? So I think we're un, in, in just uncharted waters, and I think you're going to see a lot of bizarre things. And I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that they may put up, they might put the brakes on the season. They may have to. And, and you know, the, the I understood that the protocols that Major League Baseball came up with for dealing with the coronavirus, it's like 187 pages. You know, it is really, really, yeah, really right. I mean, I, I right. just, you know, we, we hear about all these things happening. I, I just wonder how it's going to actually play out. I, I just don't see right. it happening. I think we may be deluding ourselves, um, you know, into thinking that sports can actually happen. I think the NFL is out of their minds that they're going to think that they think that they'll yeah. be able to play this fall, you know, but uh, agree. Agree, but we'll see what happens. You know, I, I I'll be watching, but uh, but Me too. skeptical the whole way. <laughs> you know, and speaking of which, uh, you know, Cubs pitching coach Tommy Hadovy recently went on the score and did a long interview, and he had the coronavirus, and he basically went 30 days before he finally tested negative for the virus, and he right. was sick. I mean, he couldn't breathe. He had to go to the hospital. He was intubated for just a day. And he saw people who were in much worse shape than he was, but uh, right, you know right. it was a it was a moving story. It really was. He 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 was moved to tears because he was so upset at himself for bringing this virus in to his family. And we're talking about a guy who was doing everything the way he should have been doing. He was wearing right, a mask. Right. He was staying in. You know, this is what is so insidious about this disease. Why people are getting it. And how they're getting it. And it, it, it doesn't stand to any logic, you know? Yeah, it's, you know, again, we're in uncharted waters. So I, who knows what's going to happen? My guess is we're going to, you know, when eight members of the Phillies tested positive and they shut down the facilities, really the training camp is, is a to me, is scarily short. Yeah. I think you're going to potentially could see some injuries unless – 
the teams like really baby these pitching staffs along. I wouldn't be surprised if we saw arm injuries because of this. There's all kinds of, it's just, that's why, um, <coughs> you know, um, Smoltz said that this potentially has the, the potential to be the most interesting baseball season of all time because yeah. of all of these different factors going on. So we you're shall see. Guys, you're going to see guys plugged into the lineup who, you know, we wouldn't have seen in two or three years, you know, because the, these right, taxi right. squads and these player pools are going to contain players who are, you know, young players who nobody ever thought would have been ready to play in the majors. And they're going to be asked to kind of come through in pressure situations. And, It'll be interesting. It'll right. be worth watching, you know. But uh, but now, yep. now, you know, players like Giancarlo Stanton are injuring other players like Matsuhiro Tanaka. Um, Jose Quintana for the Cubs recently cut his hand while washing the dishes. And he required, he was, surgery was required. And he's going to be out for at least two weeks, if not longer, because he severed some tendons or something. This is bad stuff. It's really bad. Jose, what the hell were you doing? He's washing the dishes. What can you say? I mean, I guess he doesn't have a, a dishwasher. I don't know. But maybe he was taking, you know, you take the knife out of, you know, you have a sink full of dirty water or, or dishwater and you have things soaking in it and you pick up a knife the wrong way. I can see it happening. Let, but, me, tell, let me tell you something, Leo. I'm the oldest of eight kids. And there's one thing that I really like in life. I like doing dishes and in all my days and I've done a ton of dishes in my life. Nice. I've never cut my hand. Jose, what the hell is going on? <laughs> Seriously. Well, you know, it's going to be tough. And, uh, and, and the big question is who fills his slot in the rotation. Right, and I right. think that the, 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 the spotlight falls on Alec Mills. I think he's probably the, uh, the it, it really does. And, and that's scary, Leo, because he is, I, I just, I'm very, very worried about the Cubs. <laughs> I always am. Yeah. I mean, yes, we're, we're always worried about the Cubs, but, but again, I mean, if they lose, it's just a 60 game season. I mean, it's not this, right, I mean, right. it, it's not like, you know, it's not like we're waiting 108 years chosen a Billy Wilder film last week. Tom chose uh, Sunset Boulevard, which I truly, I just thought it was a fantastic movie. I'd never seen it. And I enjoyed talking about Billy Wilder so much uh, that I wanted to do another one. And I chose this week, The Apartment, uh, which is a Jack Lemmon film with Shirley MacLaine and Fred McMurray about a man. Uh, you know, this is the 1950s in the United States. It's about a man who works for a company, a corporation. And he sits in rows and rows and rows of desks. He's just a faceless, nameless cog in the massive machinery of, of a huge company. And basically, he is popular with the executives because he's a single guy and he has an apartment that's very near where he works. And the executives are always using his apartment or they pressure him into allowing them to use his apartment for their illicit affairs with women. Um, and his boss directly, played by Fred McMurray, is having an affair with Miss Kubulik, who's the lovely elevator operator girl. And he's been sleeping with her in Jack Lemmon's apartment. And, uh, you know, this is, right. if you've never seen this movie, you know, this is a, a tremendous film. And it really changed things for Jack Lemmon, who up until that point was really regarded as a comic actor. 
this was a serious role right. for Lemon, and uh, it changed the way yeah. everybody viewed him as an actor. I think you know, it 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 it, it was his. And not just that. Go ahead. W Wilder thought that no other actor could have played this role. Really? That's how highly he thought of of, of Jack Lemon. That's correct. Um, he, he, uh, Lemon just brought the right uh, amount of of drama, and there was actually some humorous moments uh, oh, which you would expect from Jack Lemon. Um, and it just was a a, a a tremendous job, a bittersweet kind of role. And by the way, great choice. This is a phenomenal film. It comes in at number sixty-seven on my list. It's a wow. four-star classic. One of the best best pictures out there. I don't think it's as good as Sunset Boulevard, but I think it's really, really good. I watched it last night and uh, it holds up over time. And it really, the message that it delivers about middle managers, it was because basically Lemon's character rents out his apartment to executives that yeah. are having extramarital affairs, like a couple of days a week. And so yeah. while they're in the, while the executives are in his apartment, oftentimes he's standing outside, freezing his ass off, waiting them for them to leave. And you just, you know, uh, Ebert in his uh, another great criticism of this film says that there's something about these these souls that are in big cities around the holidays that are alone and don't have family to go to for big holiday meals. And, and Lemon is Lemon's character, uh, CC Baxter is one of those, one of those he, guys. He's that guy. And it's funny because the, the landlord or the guy who lives next door to him thinks that he's right. some crazy sexual, you know, superhero because right. there's, there's always the sounds of sex coming out of his apartment, but it's never him. And of course, right. he loves the young Miss Kubulik, and she, I think, loves him. They don't realize it. They kind of have to come to this realization later, and 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 they they become more and more connected when uh, when she has a suicide attempt in the apartment when she kind of right. realizes that the Fred McMurray character will never leave his wife, you know, which is always the way it is with married men stringing along their mistresses, you know. Right. You know, the other thing, too, is I don't think she was smitten with uh, uh, Lemon's character. I think she liked him as a friend and she grew right. to kind of fall in love with him because he acted as her nurse when when she OD'd and, and took care of her a couple of days. And that's when she realized that this guy was was the, this guy, the guy for her. about her rather than just sleeping with her. Right. Right. Correct. Correct. And, and, you know, I, you I know, got this, oh, go ahead. Uh, this is the first film that referenced other best pictures. Like there's a reference to the Grand Hotel and there's a reference to The Lost Weekend, which is Billy Wilder's first great film with Ray Milland. So there's all kinds of little trinkets in it. And also the the closing line of the film, Shut Up and Deal, is, yeah. is, is fantastic. That just fantastic. Yeah, no, it's, it, it's a great, it is a great movie. And I got to tell you, I mean, after seeing these two films together, how how far ahead of his time Billy Wilder was. You know, these, oh, no these doubt. movies, Sunset Boulevard and, and The Apartment are dealing with adult themes. These are serious Correct. movies about serious sexual relationships. And for the Correct. time, he is cutting edge, man. This is a big deal. I would have loved no doubt. I would have loved... Billy Wilder to kind of have lived into this modern era of filmmaking. I would have loved to have hear to have heard 
what he what he had to say about uh, this current period in, of filmmaking. And I would have loved to have seen what he would have produced, given the resources right. uh, that are going on now, and what commentary he would have to say about our modern times, because he sure as hell had a lot to say about the times back then, you know. And uh, if you no, no doubt. Yeah. This this was the very first film to win best uh, best picture, best uh, screenplay, and best director, um, and and it's and it deservedly so. Um, Wilder is a master, and there's and if you think about it, the only guy that's close to him today, and he's really not Billy Wilder, is Spielberg. Spielberg, mm. in a different way, has that kind of body of work. However, it doesn't match Wilder's. The thing about Wilder was the statement that he was saying about society. If you go back and look at all of his films, he, he basically was making a, a wisecrack about society in yeah. almost all of his films. Yeah. You know, and Sp Spielberg does, is not sardonic like that. But but I think that, you know, historians, you know, years from now, Wilder's stuff will still be relevant. Again, like I said, I watched it last night. The movie still holds up. What it <laughs> is, is it's a condemnation of middle management in America. That's, you know, the, the, the scenes in there about how, there was, he, everybody talks about there's 31,000 employees. And this was back in the days when there was, you know, 15 floors and they actually had to have elevator girls because there were so many people going in and out of the elevators. That's um, right. And so yeah. it just was a, it, you know, a snapshot in time. And I think um, it's a great movie. If you haven't seen The Apartment, go out and see it. Yeah, really go rent it, whatever you got to do, because it's yeah. uh, it is a tremendous film. Now, uh, I got to choose this week. So uh, yeah. you're going to choose next week's film, and you reveal that today. Uh, do you have what do you have for us? Doc? Yeah. Well, so we're up here in, in Harrison, and we have in our garage bar an actual little movie theater, which is oh. great. So we we there's a movie that we are going to be watching this week. It wouldn't have been my normal choice, but since we are going to watch it on the big screen, we're going to uh, take a look at the film Tombstone. Tombstone. Okay, that's uh, Val Kilmer. Tombstone. So. And Correct. One of the Val great Kilmer. acting roles of all time. Val, Val Kilmer's, Kilmer steals the show. Um, and so because I have to watch it here, you have to watch it as well. I think you can basically see it um, on, you know, your uh, Prime or uh, Netflix uh, deals. So that's the film. All right. Well, until next week, I'll give us our famous sign off line. We are two peas in a podcast. I'll bang the drum slowly and play the five lowly. Play the dead march as they carry me along. Put bunches of roses all over my coffin. Roses to deaden the clouds as they fall.